0: This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 9, Louise Campbell's session asking whether we are making appropriate use of liver nurses and advanced nursing professionals in Nash patient management and education. In this conversation, Stephen Harrison reviews a detailed query received from a patient, and we meet the four highly accredited and accomplished nursing professionals Louise has recruited for this episode's panel. If we are to drive earlier treatment and education to minimize transplants, cancer, and deaths in the coming Nash pandemic, nurses have a critical role to play. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups.
1: Stephen Harrison
2: I'm so glad you're in charge of this episode, Luis. You command authority and respect from all corners of the planet. So you're getting mine from San Antonio, Texas, and it's happy. I'm just thrilled to be here to learn from you and your colleagues because there's so much that we don't talk about relative to the nursing side, and I, I'm just looking forward to hearing that perspective today. So I've been itching for this episode, and I'm glad it's finally here.
3: Louise Campbell. Fantastic. Nothing like something to live up to, ladies. <laughs> Um, so what we're going to do first is we received an interesting question from a patient in the US and Stephen's just going to run through that before we introduce our guests properly and they tell us a little bit about themselves. So Stephen, over to you.
2: So we are thrilled that we have a question that came in from, from the audience and we encourage people to continue to write these questions so that we can understand exactly what's going on out there and, and what your, your concerns might be. So this question comes from a... A lady who reports that she has NASH cirrhosis, diagnosed with a liver biopsy in 2012. So about 10 years ago, she has a past medical history significant for metabolic syndrome, including type 2 diabetes diagnosed in 1995, high blood pressure, hyperlipidemia, and is also uh, a little overweight here with a BMI of 38. She also has polycystic ovarian syndrome. In reference to her NASH cirrhosis, she is well compensated. She does have grade 1 varices. She is on Natalol with a pulse in the 50s and 60s. Her platelet count is around 125,000 and she reports it's gone down a bit over the past 2 years. In reference to being compensated, she has no hepatic encephalopathy, no ascites, no sarcopenia. So generally she feels well. She's on an insulin pump with an A1C of 7.1 and she reports her weight has always been a struggle. So she is really looking for information to help advocate for herself and to understand how her choices affect her health. And very thankful to uh, listen to the podcast. She says she often listens to the podcast while cooking dinner. Thank you for helping the world realize that we are at the stage in the tsunami where the water is being pulled out and it will soon slam ashore. I think that that's a wonderful case vignette to, to talk briefly about. And I think you're doing all the right things so far. You're managing your comorbidities. You're getting a hold of the diabetes and trying to drive down the A1C, you're on insulin. One thing you didn't talk about was, are you also on additional anti-diabetic medications? And the one that we know could be helpful in this particular situation, actually, there are probably a couple, one is piaglitazone. Now, we have to be careful with piaglitazone with weight gain, but at doses of 15 milligrams per day, that might be a place that could help you. And then, of course, the GLP-1 agonist, which could also have the beneficial effects of some weight loss as well. And then potentially an SGLT2 inhibitor. In reference to additional things that you can do, we talked about the struggle with the weight and maybe dietary modifications. And one of the diets you had mentioned is that you had started a whole food, plant-based, no oil approach to eating and hoping to reverse the diabetes or at least get off some of the meds that you're already on. I'm personally not familiar with that particular diet. I can make two observations. Number one, we know that carbohydrates are converted to fatty acids and are delivered to the liver in the setting of excess nutrients. So we want to be careful in eating carbohydrates. So I tell my patients, cut out the bread, rice, pasta, pizza, potatoes, tortillas, that sort of thing. And to also increase your exercise to the ability that you can, both in building lean muscle, so in weight training, and also aerobic in walking or riding a bike or a row machine or something along that line. And you can have little watches now, either Fitbits or Apple Watches or whatnot that can track the number of steps you do. And you wanna know how many you're currently doing. Let's say it's maybe 1,500 to 2,000. And then you wanna try to double that and then triple that number to try to get to 10,000 steps a day. All those are additive and helpful. As far as things that don't really help you much, I would say there's a lot of people that come to me asking about milk thistle, turmeric, coumarin, things of that sort. None of that has proven beneficial in driving down inflammation. Oh, there's one thing I want to talk about with fats. You mentioned working with a no oil approach. So one thing we are learning more and more about is that triglycerides or specifically omega-3s and omega-6 fatty acids, there's a ratio that's better for people with fatty liver. And that is we want to have low amounts of omega-6s and high amounts of omega-3s. When you do that, you shut down arachidonic acid acid cascades, drive down inflammatory responses, and that ultimately should have a positive impact on your liver health, including the scarring and fibrosis. Remember, the liver heals just like the skin does. When you get a cut on your skin, you form a scab. When you injure the liver, you form a scab. We call it scar tissue, not a scab, but it's essentially the same thing. It's not bad for the liver to have scar tissue. It helps the liver remodel. We only get into trouble when we don't take away the insult that's driving. The injury that leads to the accumulation of scab over time, that once it gets so severe, it begins to cause the liver to not function properly. So, that would be important. The final thing I would mention to you relative to diet is coffee. There's a ton of data out there now supporting the use of regular drip coffee, uh, and probably because of the phenols in the coffee bean itself that are helpful. So, two to three cups a day, as long as you don't have a history of atrial fibrillation or some sort of dysrhythmia, you're probably going to be okay. Remember, decaf does not work. That's what I would tell you to do. And also be alert to new options for pharmacotherapy. You know, our drug development pipeline is robust and we uh, are hopeful to have our first approved drug within a year and a half or so, ideally. And if you're eligible or can get into a clinical trial for cirrhosis, I would advocate for that also. So let me stop there.
3: What I'm going to ask is each person, I'm going to read your names from my screen going around and ask you to just give detail, two or three minutes about yourself. And one fact, because we always liked our one fact, most people wouldn't know about you. So some of these I'm going to be very interested in. I've known most of these guys for a very long time in different guises and some of these I don't know. So Michelle Clayton, introduce yourself. Tell us where you come from and your skill set. Michelle Clayton.
4: Thank you, Louise. My name's Michelle Clayton. I work in Leeds in the United Kingdom. I've been a liver nurse for many, many years. I was just thinking about it. approximately 30 years now and I've really enjoyed my liver nursing career and one of my big focuses is around liver education for nurses. So I've worked at King's a number of years ago and then the rest of my career I've been in Leeds and that's either being on the Leeds liver unit or at the University of Leeds where I do a sort of part-time lecturer role as well. One of the things for myself is that really tried to promote liver nursing within the UK and also European wide as well. I've been involved in the British liver nurses in the UK for many many years and became their first elected chair of the new organisation the British Liver Nurse Association a couple of years ago and I've really been privileged to have that role and also to forward nursing within the European Association of the Study of the Liver where I became their first chair of their nurse and allied health professional task force. I think for me one of my big achievements has been I co-wrote the Royal College of Nursing Competence Framework and it's back in 2013 and we've now updated that a number of times. I think we're on our third iteration of it and I wrote those with Linda Greenslade and they've been really there to promote professional standards for liver nurses, and I think that's a really important aspect that we ensure that we have quality of care and that that is consistent across different liver units, hospitals, etc. So I'll finish there, and I'll give you my something you might not know about. So I ran a girls' football team for ten years. Um, I think I well, most of the other parents stepped back, and I was left there. It was really enjoyable and we had a lot of fun over the years. So thank you.
2: Michelle, I was in the military for 21 years on active duty in the United States Army and one thing we were taught early on is never volunteer for anything. <laughs> so, so what happens is You don't have to volunteer. It's just everybody else takes one step backwards and you forget to take a step backwards and you're the only one left. So it's a similar situation to to yours as well.
4: Absolutely, Stephen, yes.
3: (laughs) Michelle's done that a lot.
5: Okay, Patricia, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background that you bring into it. Patricia Kunzler. Yes, thank you. My name is Patricia Kunzler. I'm a Swiss registered nurse. Uh, hopefully, I can follow the conversation today as I'm not a native speaker. For 25 years, I work in the clinic for hepatology at the tertiary hospital here in Switzerland. And in parallel, as I could not study nursing science in the beginning, I started some years later and i have done bachelor master degree as well and completed my phd in 2020 so in my older years i have started to doing my own clinical research and i really like to do this i would say my greatest interest is in new models of care especially for patients with liver disease and i'm happy to have a good colleague in another hospital in switzerland because we are the only ones here who are specialized nurses in liver disease and so we are developing and testing now new ways of nursing in liver care. Our focus, but is honestly on liver cirrhosis and liver transplant at the moment, but we can go into discussion later why we are not involved earlier stages of patients. What an achievement is, is during my PhD, I have done research uh, in behavioral change and coming to a healthier lifestyle. We have developed and tested a behavioral intervention for men who have sex with men, that they can reduce sexual risk-taking to avoid reinfection with hepatitis C. So you see, I'm coming from an infectious disease side, but I'm sure it's, it's a very good knowledge uh, I have about working with patients and how they can change their behaviours. Meanwhile, I have developed an advanced practice nurse role in Switzerland. I give lectures for students and I'm also involved in patient-centred communication with uh, workshops we are doing for healthcare providers and this is really where my heart beating as well we need a good communication especially when we want to work with patients on behavior change something about me you probably not know i gave birth to my son at home and this was not because of mistrust to the hospital or the midwives but uh, it was unexpected and i was happy to have my husband helped me through so yeah that's the the family story here and all uh, start to laugh when we speak about. Well, that beats running with the balls in Pampaloma, I have to say. <laughs> Having a baby at home with your
3: husband. You did know you were pregnant. <laughs> oh, I did. <laughs> I do hope so.
2: <laughs> yeah. that, that gives new meaning to the word date night.
5: Yeah. Absolutely. Go for it. I'm not sure if my husband would be so, would take me if he knew that he
1: has to be the midwife. <laughs> Fantastic. Moving on now, Pam, come and tell us about yourself. Pam O'Donoghue. So I'm a senior hepatocellular carcinoma um, clinical mm-hmm. nurse specialist with a 22-year history of working within this field. I originally started as a hepatopancreatic biliary clinical nurse specialist, but I had the opportunity to subspecialise into HCC about 12 years ago at the Royal Free Hospital in London because of the huge volumes of HCC patients that were coming through at that time. Some of the interesting things I've done in my career, I set the joint hepatocellular carcinoma a clinic up at the Royal Free Hospital about 10 years ago and streamlined the whole service so that patients weren't going to hepatology clinics, oncology clinics and surgical clinics. It was a one-stop shop on a Monday and they would see all the consultants in the the same clinic either jointly. Sometimes they would see three consultants together, two consultants together, and they would have all their up-to-date imaging done that morning. So we had up-to-date imaging available for the consultations. And the idea was that when they left that clinic, that the next time they came back to that hospital, that was for a treatment. And we published... Um, the outcomes from that clinic which were were quite impressive in terms of reducing the waiting times from diagnosis to first treatment and we saw a huge increase in the number of patients going on to have curative treatments like RFA and resections and even getting into clinical trials because previously it would take months to get through all the different specialities and for consensus to be agreed. I also set up the Serafinip nurse-led clinic at the Royal Free Hospital and audited the outcomes which showed actually with with good senior clinical nurse specialist support that actually dose intensity and duration on, on difficult Treatments like sorafenib can be um, improved dramatically with the input of a clinical nurse specialist as well. Prior to COVID, in January uh, 2020, me and my colleagues from Kings and Birmingham managed to get all CNSs in the UK who were involved in looking after patients with HCC, and that was a wide range of different types of CNSs: hepatology, HPB, GI, OG. I mean, it was completely different wherever you went. And we got everybody into the room, and at the back of Michelle and Linda's fine competency work, we set out to establish. Establish what were some of the specific dimensions or competencies that HCC CNSs would need going forward. And we managed to kind of draft and get a consensus on what they should include, which would be immunity, TKIs, radiation, genetics, functional management, holistic needs. I had a medical writer writing up some of the initial ideas, and then it all got kind of stalled with COVID. But hopefully we can get it back off the ground at some point in the future so it could be used not just in the UK, actually worldwide. Because I think wherever you go, HCC patients are looked after by a variety of different types of nurses something interesting about me I don't know if it's interesting but I cycle a lot I've done London to Paris I've done Le Tap and cycled up Val but I don't think that's terribly exciting but there's nothing else so
3: (laughs) I don't know I cycle around the block so you beat me Thank you. That's a wealth of knowledge. And finally, into Dr. Catherine Jack. Tell us about yourself. Catherine Jack.
6: Hello. Thank you, Louise, very much. Yeah, most people know me as Kate, but like Catherine's my Sunday name when I'm in trouble. I came to the world of viral hepatitis back in the year 2000, and I work in the East Midlands of England. So I'm now in Nottingham, which is home to Robin Hood territory, really. A lot of the work I've been involved in in Nottingham has been around taking hepatitis C treatment out into the community, and certainly in the early days of the early. Earlier part of 2000 and 2005, we began to take some work out into GP practice and assess people who were still taking drugs and get them onto interferon and ribavirin, which at the time was a little bit controversial, but we were able to demonstrate very easily that nurses were very capable and just as adept at doing that as anybody else, and that the SVR rates were the same and patients responded well. As times moved on, I've retained a lot of interest in viral hepatitis, and that's really where my experience have sacked. Like Patricia I was able to do a PhD which I got in 2019. And my work for that was to evaluate the impact of the opt-out testing system for hepatitis C in the prisoner population. So I describe myself really as a, as a mixed methods researcher and I like doing you know a whole variety of different complex methods and weaving them together to try and support the decisions that patients make. As I say I work in Nottingham. I work with a team of four other really fantastic nurses who i feel very privileged to work with and we have some great consultants and we also have pharmacists we have a dedicated pharmacist and a pharmacy technician with our team as well so a lot of emphasis on our our wider ahp colleagues as well in terms of something a bit different about me um the only thing i I do on my days off sometimes is ballet which usually makes people laugh because i'm not really skinny but i don't wear a tutu and i can't do the um splits but it's all good fun And now,
0: back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingmash.com. We will be back next week to look at different estimates of the size and structure of the NAFEL and NASH populations in the U.S., U.K., and Germany, and to ask what we can infer from these different estimates about the scope of the disease today. Until then, keep your distance, stay safe, enjoy the weather, whatever it is, as best you can, and we look forward to seeing you soon on Surfing the NASH Tsunami. Stay safe, surf on, bye-bye now.